There are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio Studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi Portfolio Managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Well, happy Saturday to you. Wolfgang Klein here, host of Hi-Fi Radio. It is a show about money, um, planning, doing the right thing, and a whole lot more. Jack Hartle, of course, my right-hand man and wingman for Hi-Fi Radio, and I want to say thank you for joining us and welcome back. Great lineup today. Uh, got uh, Dr. Frank uh, Santaguida, Vice President of Exploration for First Cobalt. Uh, cobalt matters. Uh, guess what? New iPhone being launched, and my sense is it's loaded with cobalt. I think that's like what drives that iPhone. The power behind it will be cobalt. Uh, we're then going to talk to Scott Barney. He's a professional hockey player, pro- retired professional hockey player. Actually played with Jack Hartle uh, for the Peterborough Peets. Uh, most importantly, he's now the assistant coach to the Humboldt Broncos uh, nationally televised game last night. Uh, so, very emotional uh, story, a very important story. And Scott basically moved from what was it, Jack Ontario, to now uh, work in Saskatchewan with the team. Yep, yep. His family's in Peterborough, and he's uh, made the commitment to go out to Humboldt and uh, you know coach the team for this uh, you know transitional year and uh, you know uh, you know powerful year for them. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's gonna be a great interview. I'm looking forward to, it, and it's your old friend as well. And used to pass him the puck. He'd score. Is that what the deal was, Jack? He was definitely the goal scorer, not. And I was the guy that and I was the guy that went into the corners. I wouldn't call myself a playmaker. You went to yeah. corners. That's that's good. That's, yeah, that's, that's maybe maybe a team. grinder. You want to go into the corners? Yep. And uh, we're gonna end up talking about guess what? Marijuana. Matt Bottomley. Um, it's coming close. Yes, the uh, October seventeenth, marijuana shall be illegal in Canada, and a uh, lot of hype, a lot of interest. Um, a lot of speculation, uh, buyer beware, I, I must say. Uh, but uh, without further ado, let's talk uh, electrification. Uh, Dr. Frank, Frank, did I get your name right? Uh, Santa Guida? Yeah, that's perfect, perfect pronunciation. Uh, see, I grew up in Jana Wilson, Italian neighborhood. Uh, nice, so nice. With, with that vowel on the end of your name, I assumed uh, you were Italian. There was no opolis, so I knew you weren't Greek. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, so uh, first cobalt, you know, mining has been pretty challenged, uh, I shall say. You know, we had a great commodity bull market. From 2000 to 2008 or nine, uh, it went quiet. Uh, it actually went to a bear market. Uh, copper sort of come, came back. But a few standout uh, rare earths and uh, other minerals, shall I say, uh, have continued to do very well. Uh, surprisingly to me, cobalt is one expensive mineral. I guess it is a mineral, is it not? Uh, selling for what, some $27,000 a, a ton. Uh, more expensive than nickel. Um, more expensive than lithium. Uh, and am I correct in stating that, in fact, cobalt is the primary ingredient uh, in our iPhone um, battery? It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a metal, so it's a, it's a naturally occurring metal. That, that, you know, if we look up on, if we dig our, our minds way back to, uh, to high school chemistry, it's, it's there up on the, on the periodic table. Uh, but, uh, but, but yeah, it's, it is an ingredient. I wouldn't say it's, uh, it's, it's the... It's um, the most abundant. It's certainly uh, one of the critical elements and metals that you know that make uh, that make electricity go from A to B within a battery to make sure it, it goes uh, it goes across uh, goes across quickly. 
uh, from that point of view, uh, the price, it's, you know, you're, you're bang on when you say about, you know, the comparison between cobalt and nickel. There's cobalt, there is nickel in these batteries as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, the cobalt price, you know, being that much more is because there's just that much less of it, uh, you know, in the ground. And that, and that actually is being produced out there in the world uh, compared, compared to nickel. You know, my, my concern and, and, and discussion with Jack as we took a cab down here to the Core Studios to speak with you is... Um, as we use up the cobalt and, you know, electrification of cars, a massive, massive growth trajectory uh, in front of us. Uh, they're speaking of what, uh, you know, where there's stats here. Uh, basically, billions of cars or, or hundreds of millions of cars hitting the road by the year of 2030. Um, you know, so not too far away, about 12, 13 years away. Uh, is there going to be enough cobalt to uh, power uh, a substantial amount of cars uh, in, in the near future? Well, there's there's two factors at play. I'd have to say that goes along with that. I'd I'd say for sure there's not going to be. We won't run out of cobalt. That's 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 one one thing I can I can almost guarantee in saying. It's more out of the what price are we willing to pay you know to to get that you know it's it's in in the ground you know uh it's it occurs in in many different minerals and getting that you know getting that metal away from the other the other uh components of those minerals can be can be very expensive they can be very cheap it's all the way being very expensive so so we um you know so that 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 affects that affects the cost and like like many other metals and so you know it has a commonality with other metals and so if that price goes really high then probably the other metals will become you know more attractive to use in the batteries but i think you know where we're at right now is a is a great balance i mean the the prices uh it's come down a little bit in the last 6 months or so but uh but we are still like well above uh i i'd say that you know the traditional uh, cost of it because of this increasing demand, and I and I think you know, and I think we're we're probably in a in a good halfy space because it is at a price that you know um, that isn't uh, isn't too onerous to to go out and mine it and process it and convert it to material that can be used in the in the batteries, you know, and, and yet the, the you know the mining companies uh, can make a little bit of money at it at the same time. Interesting, interesting. Well, look, uh, we're going to pay some bills around here, Frank, uh, so please stay with us. I want to learn more about First Cobalt and uh, the impact you're going to have in the electrification of uh, automobiles uh, over the next uh, decade or so, so please stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back to the show, Hi-Fi Radio, Wolfgang Klein, your host, show about money. Uh, well, you know, as the gigafactories are being built and the worldwide trend for electric cars uh, estimated for 2018 to be about 3 million units globally on the road, uh, you are certainly in a growth phase. Tesla, of course, front and center. Elon Musk uh, stepping aside a little bit from the manufacturing of cars, but still very, very forward thinking. We have Dr. Frank Santaguida. He's the vice president of exploration for a company called First Cobalt. Uh, there's a lot of cobalt in Tesla's batteries. There's cobalt in our iPhones. Cobalt is a very, very uh, important um, mineral or element. Pardon me, I'm not a chemist or a physicist. Is it a mineral or element, uh, Frank? 
Uh, it's an element. It's an we element. Quali- and we qualify that with, with, a, with a metal. You're with a metal. A metal. Yep. So, so talk to us a bit about First Cobalt and your company and what you guys are up to. Uh, so we're a new we're a new company. We d- we just really got on the scene in in 2016, uh, a little bit on the wave of of this uh, you know of of the co- of the cobalt uh, demand uh, out there. And you know so with uh, you know with a small group of people, you know we recognize this was a really good opportunity to uh, to start up a company. Uh, you know um, myself and others that are involved. Uh, have a have a strong mining background with some of the some of the biggest mining companies around the around the world, but you know we we looked at this as an opportunity of of, of getting of starting something new and something that you know that isn't just simply you know the flavor of the month type of a thing uh, that it this is uh, is is a demand that is going to be with us for for quite for quite some time. Oh no question, like the, the, the electric car market in Canada uh, has risen by sixty eight percent, I think, in the last year, and the estimates long term are. are are just uh, staggering. Uh, again, the amount of cars, combustible cars on the road today are staggering. Uh, basically, in Canada, there's one car per person, about 33 million combustible cars on the road. In America, there's 250 million combustible cars uh, licensed. Uh, so certainly, we, we all know uh, electrification is happening. And uh, without, of course, the, the ingredients to make the, the batteries work, uh, Car's not going too far too fast, uh, is it? Uh, but it's amazing in terms of um, distance, in terms of uh, uh, usability. Uh, obviously, we've we've come great strides. Can you talk to us about the strides batteries have made, and and in fact, uh, what the future is for for batteries as a power source? Um, yeah, just just toward that. That's um, you know the batteries. I mean, you've mentioned cars, you mentioned phones. But it, it's all been, all, you know, alternative energy styles like like wind, like solar. The the sort of the, the bottleneck in all of those has been storage of that energy, and so everything comes back to batteries. You know, back in the days, you know, lead acid batteries. You know, these enormous things that are actually, you know, in, environmentally a little bit of a disaster zone of, of what do you do with them after after that acid is spent uh, and not usable anymore. So you know, there's been huge strides in the last ten years. Uh, on you know on batteries that you know that are you know what are called the lithium ion batteries that you know that also have the ions in there also being you know metals like like cobalt that are they're being them that have this extra capacity for for storing that energy uh, and and conducting that electricity I mean with with cobalt itself it's sort of the the key metal in the battery that makes that makes all of these things just charge up that much faster mm-hmm. uh, than than things have in the past. Yeah, for, for years we've been trying to go renewable, and I think that's you know the the major issue. Like you said, it's uh, we want to do it because it's the right thing for the environment. But the fact is, we've never had the the storage capacity to bring it online when we actually need uh, when we have the demand for this power. So, um, you know, these innovations are are powerful, and they do uh, you know make a huge difference in, in the ability to bring these renewables online. I think. Um, just looking at your uh, your company here, Frank. What what is your competitive advantage? I mean, you're a uh, relatively new company. Um, what are your production costs? I guess. Um, how do you how do you go up against the big boys? 
Well, let's go back to where we where we in our vision all of a year and a half ago, I guess, of where we were at. Is that is that opportunity we saw was really in in creating a company where cobalt is a, the primary uh, producer. You know, the primary metal that the company will be producing. You know, as opposed to as you mentioned, you know, some of the bigger companies who also produce you know copper or nickel or or other or other similar metals. But with first cobalt, it's exactly as our name says. It's it's we're we're after uh, sources, uh, you know, mines where we can mine cobalt for the sake of mining cobalt uh, from that. So in in that alone, that's one way I'd like to say we we do have a competitive edge. You know, we are looking now at at new opportunities and new places to uh, develop mines where you know where cobalt is the most is the most significant metal uh, to be to be produced there. So. When it comes, you know, your question about cost, we, we're we're not producing now, but we 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 really imp- anticipate uh, getting into that space probably in in two to three years. Are, are you in communication in the interest of time? Are you in communication with Tesla? Um, not them specifically. Other battery companies, uh, you know, we we definitely have been uh, you know interacting with uh, with a, with a few different with a few different companies, um, but uh, but. Um, I'm, I'm sure at any time Tesla's been a, a you know a great company for for reaching directly out to the to the sources again or the mining companies. Yeah, well, um, again, and Tesla's got some competition. I guess you have some new customers coming your way. Mercedes-Benz is uh, launching an electric car. Jaguar has an electric car. Audi has an electric car. BMW, goodness gracious, they 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 hosted the um, e. Uh, E-Prix, it was called, Electric Car Grand Prix in Berlin. Uh, did you have a chance to pay attention to that event? No, I missed I missed that one. I'm not much of a I'm not much of a of a car person. I am more of a hockey person, but but anyway, it's uh yeah, so all of the automotive companies are stepping up. What I've noticed recently is actually is such a boom from the Korean companies. So Hyundai and Kia are both now uh really moving moving ahead um uh in that in that uh in that space. Uh, and so we're, you know, the Koreans now are are, are becoming a, a, you know, a major consumer. And again, it's it's these companies that that are that are reaching out to companies like ourselves to to finding out, you know, when will you be producing, what type of material are you producing, and and, and how do we get that into our gigafactories? Yeah. Well, look, uh, Dr. Frank Santa Guida, Vice President, Exploration First Cobalt. What's the symbol of your company? What's your ticker? FCC. FCC. You trade on Toronto. Uh, yes, that's right. Trades on the venture on. exchange, and we also trade on the ASX on the Australian. So, so you trade on the venture exchange and on the Australian exchange. Uh, yeah, that's correct. Correct. Yeah. Well, look, I wish you and, great success. Yeah, I'm sorry. And finally, the FTSSF as well. Ah, I, well, I wish you great success with your business. It's a, you are on a secular trend uh, that, that certainly is very, very favorable to your space. So it should be very, very exciting times. And I, uh, I wish you a lot of enthusiasm as your career continues to uh, unfold. Uh, yeah, thank you for joining us on Hi-Fi Radio. Coming up next, we are going to speak with Scott Barney, who is a retired pro hockey player, also played hockey with Jack. Uh, most importantly now, he is the assistant coach of the Humboldt Broncos. Going to be a very, very... Uh, emotional uh, interview coming up right after this. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Sundown in the Paris of the Prairie We kings of all treasures buried 
Welcome back. Hi-Fi Radio, 640 in Toronto. Wolfgang Klein, your host. Jack Harley, your co-host. And we're going to talk hockey. Uh, emotional uh, game played last night. Humboldt Broncos got back at it after the tragic event that happened in April. And, uh, well, two original members still on the team. Must have been a tough, tough, tough night. Uh, we have Jack's... Um, Hockey partner when Jack used to play for yeah, he was, Peterborough. He, he was the former captain of our team, Scott Barney. Yeah. Uh, played, I think, 20 years pro. And then um, I was just saying to you in the office earlier this week that uh, out of all the guys that I played with in hockey, I think you know Scott was probably, uh, at the junior level, probably the most talented player that I played with at the time. Um, and, you know, he's he's taken on the initiative, and you know, now he's actually coaching with the humble Broncos, yeah, taking a leadership role. So, so welcome to the show, uh, Scott Barney. Um Assistant coach for the Humboldt Broncos, uh, new to the team. Uh, your boy from Ontario now going out to the uh, well, the wheat fields, eh? Yeah, it was a great experience here in Humboldt, and uh, looking forward to the challenge here. And uh, so, obviously, a tough, tough night last night was a little lost for the boys, but uh, looking forward to push ahead here and uh, probably good experience for all the twenty-two guys here on the team. And looking forward to make uh, change little little things up here. Yeah. Well, look, you know, this is a show about it's, it's a business show after all. Uh, it is Hi-Fi Radio, but hockey is big business in Canada. It's an eleven billion dollar industry, um, and the impact it has on small communities like Humboldt uh, is even is even greater. Uh, you know, north of a billion I mean, like communities of less than a hundred thousand people, a billion dollars is, is a indirect impact from hockey. Two point six billion dollars direct impact to its community for hockey. So it really really matters. Um, and some great talent, of course, comes out of uh, places like Humboldt. Um, you know, the, the story is, is is an emotional one. It, uh, it hurts me. It rips me apart. Same as my wife, and um, likewise the Jack. Uh, but some good things come out of this. Uh, apparently, a hundred thousand Canadians have registered to donate their organs after the Humboldt bus crash. Uh, Logan uh, Boulet, he signed a donor card uh, on his twenty-first birthday a few weeks before the crash. Saved six people's lives. Very, very powerful. It, so, it just shows you the small things that you can do uh, in life and how you know significant of an impact they, they can have. So it's a, it's a powerful story. It's a, it's a tragic story, but um, you know you see what Scott has done. Like I said, taking the initiative, uh, leading these young boys. Um, you know, like uh, Wolfgang said, you've got two guys I think from the previous team that were on your in your lineup last night for the home opener. Um, and I was just wondering, maybe you could speak to the leadership of those two guys. I think it's Braden and Patter uh, was the names of the, the two guys yeah. that you're that you're bringing back. Yeah, you guys, you guys mentioned both, uh, Braden and Hyder. And uh, it was just in the last uh, two or three weeks just to see those guys uh, have the initiative, like you guys said, to uh, see those guys bring the team together, which is uh, huge for us. Like, we're sitting there, like, uh, two new coaches, haven't seen any of those players play. We have 80 players come to our training camp. And uh, we have, every day we see these guys come together. And to have like 22, 23 guys now that come together and play for each other. And I played for hockey for 20 years. Never seen like a team come this tight in such a short time. And it's like for us as coaches, you can't ask for anything more. And it's just every day that like, those guys have 110. And and uh, for us to see that, it uh, really meant a lot to us as uh, coaches. 
Yeah, that, that, that was one of the messages I think I saw on Wednesday night. They talked about how tight-knit the team was, you know, last year's team, obviously, before the, the tragic accident. But uh, it sounds like you guys are, you know, obviously, um, you know, honoring the past players that you, that you have there. Uh, you got a tight-knit group of guys that, uh, you know, want to respect what those, um, you know, who those players were and what they did. Um, but they also, you have a new group of guys that, you know, you're leading now. And, you know, Humboldt is on the road to recovery. Not that you'll ever fully recover, but... Uh, you know, these new kids that you're leading, they're out chasing their dreams too, just as we did on those buses, you know, traveling through Ontario and they're out in Saskatchewan chasing the same, you know, Canadian dream. Um, but it's it's just part of the community being able to move forward. And it's so, you know, interwoven into these small communities. Uh, you talk about a, a community like Humboldt of, you know, 6,000 people. That's what, you know, the town people do on a Saturday night. They go out, they watch the game, they support the team. And I'm sure that you guys are going to have, uh, you don't just have the 6,000 people of Humboldt supporting you. You have, you know, the Prime Minister of, of Canada reaching out. You have a nationally televised game where there's no commercials. Um, you know, uh, people around the globe, obviously, supporting the team. And the um, uh, you saw that, I guess, in the outreach and, and the uh, the GoFundMe campaign that was um, immediately following the accident. So it's, it's a very powerful story. It is. And uh, a lot of money was raised. I think some north of $15 million was raised for the town of uh, Humboldt and uh the, uh, the victims of the uh, occurrence. So, uh, look up, Scott, please stay with us. Um, used to play hockey with Jack. You scored a lot of goals. He assisted those goals. And uh, you're now uh, coaching a very, very important team in Canada. So I think it's great uh, on you for doing just that. we got to pay some bills around here. You know, there's a price of admission for radio, and that is listen to a few commercials. It's not too bad. Uh, lots of value we're trying to give you in return for staying tuned to Hi-Fi Radio. Listen, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. There was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord. You don't really care for music, do you? Well, it goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, the major lift, the baffled king composing Hallelujah, indeed. Hi-Fi Radio, Wolfgang Klein, your host in the studio with uh, Jack Hartle and his old buddy, Scott Barney. What, what, what was his nickname for Barney? Uh, he had a few, but um, we'll, we'll go with Barn Dog. How's that? Barn Dog. <laughs> Barn Dog. Uh, well, uh, the, uh, the, the, the young men, shall we say, from uh, Humboldt calling you Barn Dog yet, Scott? Sounds good, Wolfgang. <laughs> no, I said, are, are the new players calling you Barn Dog yet? They got the barnyard going. They got the barnyard going, but oh, they, they got the barnyard going. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you are the assistant coach at Humboldt. Uh, you played pro hockey. Um, Jack, of course, played with you for the Peterborough Peets, um, which was an is an OHL team. Yeah, major uh, junior. Yeah, yeah. And uh, of course, uh, you had a dream, and uh, well, you 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 succeeded extremely well with your dream. Jack had a dream to work with me one day, um, as you sit on the bench, uh, <laughs> watch you guys grind it out. But you know, I'll tell you something, Scott. Um, I'm a, I'm a hockey parent. Uh, my son Sebastian uh, with Duffield Devils is scheduled to go to um, uh, Pittsburgh in a couple of weeks, and what a nightmare that is crossing the border with 16-year-olds. That's not fun. On a bus, it's about a six-hour drive, and then Elliot is going to be going on a bus trip to Montreal. Uh, 
in Toronto, the city uh, is congested. Uh, as a hockey parent, I complain continuously about having to cart my kid around in the <laughs> hockey games. No, I do. But Jack, please share, share with the audience the point you made to me today beyond, well, shut up and stop complaining. <laughs> well, it's true. Uh, even uh, this past weekend, I was out um, on the ice with my daughter uh, and some parents were complaining of the fact that, you know, they had to get up for two seven o'clock games Saturday, Sunday morning. And, and I was just like, you know what? Uh, it's an honor to be able to go out and, you know, teach your kids and have them enjoy hockey. You know, the Humboldt, a lot of the Humboldt parents um, only wish that they had that experience right now or could have that experience right now. So, um, you know, hockey's a powerful thing. Um, it's, it's interwoven into Canadian or Canadians fabric. Um, and we should enjoy it. It's, you know, you have a limited time to be able to do it with your kids. Uh, they grow up, grow up too quick and off to university and the likes, but, uh, you know, it's fun. And you learn so much throughout the game of hockey. Um, in my experience and, in, in Barney was a, uh, a leader on our team. He was a captain, but you know, the kids develop leadership, commitment, accountability, all the things that are transitional into the workforce and, and you're are very important in, you know, your day-to-day life as an adult. So, um, Scott has, like I said, he was a leader on our team, 20 years pro experience. Um, what kind of leadership, uh, do you intend to, I guess, to bring to the, uh, the humble Broncos and in, in, in your transition from player to coach? I think the the biggest thing for us here is like we're trying to teach these guys, like, like you said, leadership, uh, day to day, day life, like at school, like you get, you gotta be in school. You need school. Like if you're not, you're not going to school, you're not going to play for us. Like the biggest thing for us is like to teach these kids, like from being kids to being adults. Yeah, and like and, I said, uh, those those life lessons are so huge. And I remember in Peterborough because uh, at the time, I, I you know I was lucky to make the team as a walk on. Um, but the one rule that Peterborough had, and Jeff Tui was our general manager at the time, and I give him a lot of credit for this. Uh, they had curfews, which no one liked at the time, uh, and you had to be going to school. So you're either in high school, or if you're graduated high school, you're either in college or university. And there's two good, obviously, post secondary educations out in Peterborough, and uh, they were very adamant about that. And the other thing for me in Peterborough at the time was every player got a scholarship, and that was brought into the OHL, I think, a couple of years later. But as a walk-on, I would have never got that tip for, for a typical uh, hockey team. But the Peterborough Pete's, I think, showed a lot of initiative and a lot of leadership there, um, making sure that all their you know, players and kids were taken care of uh, through their education programs following hockey. Hey, um, yeah, uh, yeah, so, yeah. Scott, so uh, again, just in the interest of time here, um, get back to you for a second here. As a professional hockey player, meaning you, you, you played hockey to, to, as, a, uh, as a career uh, for 20 years. Uh, it sounds tough to me, what you did, like really easy, real tough. I had a friend of mine, he played, uh, Chris Vickers was a, he played in Germany for a number of years, had a lot of fun. He was making, I think, about 100 grand a year doing so, but he ended up getting into our business. Uh, yeah. So w- w- which countries did you play uh, pro hockey in? I played in uh, about t- 10 countries now. So I've... Uh seen a lot of the world and trying to trying to give that to the guys you know like give some feedback that there's a lot of opportunities all over the world and uh if uh doesn't matter if you're a little bit lower level or a little medium level or what you are that there's there's opportunities everywhere all you need is somebody like you and uh in hockey there's a lot of places to go yeah well good for you i look um i i wish you well you steward that team um I, I would say they're in really good hands with the, with Barnes. So I was glad to see. I saw the announcement in the summer that you were coaching Barnes. Um, so it was uh, exactly you know what um, the Humboldt needed. I think through the healing process. Yeah, well, and you know, I'll tell you something, Scott. Uh, off air, Jack spoke very very highly of you. He said you were the most talented hockey player 
uh, he, he actually played with on his team. Um, so the, 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 yeah, it's a big statement. It's a big statement. So I think the kids are very lucky to have you. And uh, well, I think you're lucky to work with them as well. Uh, I want to wish you a great weekend. I want to thank you very much for joining us on High Fire Radio. And we're going to keep the Canadian theme going from hockey to Mary Jane on High Fire Radio. Little reefer madness right after this. Making money is the best. So how do you make more money? back after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. In this film, you will see the ease with which this vicious plant can be grown in your neighbor's yard, rolled into harmless-looking cigarettes, hidden in an innocent shoe or watch case. If you want a good smoke, try one of these. You will meet Bill, who once took pride in his strong will as he takes the first step toward enslavement. Yes, indeed. You know, that's from Reefer Madness. That movie that came out in 1936. Uh, it really was a propaganda film. Uh, finance, I believe, I believe, don't quote me, but I believe by the pulp and paper industry for the pulp and paper industry back in the 20s feared hemp. That's right, hemp loaded with CBDs, little ointment, little cream. Doesn't get you high, but they feared hemp. Uh, I guess hemp was the sister to... Mary Jane, marijuana, cannabis, uh, THC. And, well, there's a bit of a, I'm going to say, uh, reefer madness going on Bay Street. Um, some retail investors cannot get enough of marijuana stocks. And uh, I think the catalyst to get the, the current wave going was the investment by Constellation Brands in, in, into canopy growth tweed. Uh, and then, of course, the beer companies began looking at uh, infused product. And uh, American companies started coming to market. It, it, it has been a frenzy. Tilray is, a, is an American stock. A well, Canadian company trades in NASDAQ, I believe. And uh, I think the stock IPO'd at 17 bucks uh, This week traded well over $100 U.S., uh, 500% in less than a year. So to help us with all the madness of reefer madness, uh, we're joined once again by Matt Bottomley. He is an analyst and a specialist in the cannabis space. Uh, thank you and welcome back to Hi-Fi Radio. Matt? Hey, how you doing, Wilking? Oh, I'm doing just terrific. So I, I said to you off air, uh, yesterday I had lunch over in the first Canadian place and I walked through the lobby and there's a little art store inside the Canadian place and a bunch of, uh, it's just reproduction stuff, prints, uh, but they had a whole display of, of uh, screenshots, film shots from the movie uh, Reefer Madness. And just you got to take a look at this stuff. It, it's classic. And if you want to uh, email me, and I'll send you some pictures. Like you took pictures of them. You can always contact me at uh, uh, wolfgangkline.com. But uh, you know the headline: "The Devil's Harvest." Uh, five kids uh, smoked this. Uh, two are in hospital, one in jail, and the others have blown their minds. Oh, good golly, eh? Reefer madness. Uh, it was powerful, and and prohibition uh, for as such went on for what over a hundred years, I guess, eh, uh, Matt? Yeah, that's right. Yep. And I mean, you know, these types of, uh, you know, images that you see in, in, in the media a lot, it's funny because it, as much as, uh, you know, they're, they're headline grabbing, a lot of these producers are trying, to, are, are trying to pivot away from that, clearly, you know, starting in the medical uh, segment. Uh, but they're, they're, they are really trying to, to stay away from these stereotypes. And uh, it is interesting just some of the polarization you see, uh, you know, with respect to what's in the news and, and, and what gets covered versus, you know, how these companies are trying to, uh, trying to position themselves in this, this new market that's about to open up later this fall. Right. So, so Matt, 
Wolfgang was talking about the, the reefer madness and, and retail going mad over uh, marijuana stocks, cannab- cannabis stocks. Um, you being our analyst and uh, you know our ears to the ground, what are you seeing on the institutional side? Because everyone's always talking about at some point the institutions are going to get really excited about these and the Canadian banks are going to get excited about them. Obviously, Constellation Brands acquisition um, was transformative uh, for Canopy. Um, so what do you see with the institutions? What are they saying? Yeah, I mean, the, the level of interest from institutions uh, didn't all of a sudden switch on uh, with this Constellation deal. Certainly, there's been, you know, my phone's been ringing a lot more. I've been doing a lot more one-on-one meetings with uh, institutions I have spoken with in the past and some for the first time. So, you know, what was essentially an acquisition of Canopy when you include the warrants that are in on that deal, um, you know, over the next three years, if, if Canopy doesn't raise any more equity, which I, I can't imagine why they would have to at this point, um, you know, Constellation will slowly acquire them. So, this adds a level of legitimacy to the to the industry when you have one of the largest uh, suppliers uh, of beer around the world jumping into this space here. So a lot of the uh, the frenzy I think we're seeing in the market right now is the expectations of more strategics uh, to come into the market and uh, and more premiums to be paid. And I think there's some risk, quite quite certainly, uh, uh, you know, investing at these levels considering some of the returns. You know, Wolfgang mentioned Tilray, you know, five x uh, since the listing only a few months ago. So um, from an institutional standpoint, there's certainly more, um, you know, phones ringing. I think that really what we're going to see as the main catalyst for institutions to come in is, is, is a lot of these companies to actually, you know, start generating significant revenues from these government contracts, uh, reach profitability, and, and, and then obviously uh, high cash yields, uh, and, and the official kickoff. And I don't think October... 17th, although there will likely be online sales in a lot of regions, uh, that, that will be the kickoff. But, but I think the official kickoff that, that a lot of institutions might be waiting for is, like I said, profitability and just some more robustness in terms of retail being opened and, and a few quarters of, uh, of contribution coming in from the rec market. So probably not until later in 2019, but they're certainly watching the space, that, that's for sure. And what are they saying about the valuations up here? Because obviously they're super expensive, lots of expectation, um, you know, priced into the stocks already. Um, what do they say about that? Yeah, so, you know, everyone has a, has a different view. There's no right answer, unfortunately, because of how volatile the sector is and just the increasing number of unknowns when it comes to uh, how the Canadian market's going to roll out, how the international markets are starting to formulate. So the general you know, thesis views that, that I hear out there is, you know, and I would share this view that the Canadian fundamentals, so the 35 million people in Canada, the, the potential $10 billion recreational uh, annual opportunity um, that, we, that, that we think is, uh, is going to come out in the next three or four years, that's not enough to be able to support valuations today. Um, so clearly you have to have some international optionality, you have to have some inroad, whether it's Germany, Australia. And in my view is, if you believe that the cannabis sector is hitting an inflection point, which I do, um, if you go back a few years ago, there was only three or four countries that had legalized medical uh, cannabis. Now we're upwards of 30 countries are in the process of formulating their, their, their medical cannabis platforms. There's a huge growth profile coming up, and we've never seen an opportunity like this where we don't have U.S. competition because it's a Schedule One drug in the U.S. So this is a ridiculous opportunity for a lot of Canadian licensed producers and other international players for that matter, to get on the ground floor in in many of these international markets. So in my view, if you were to close your eyes three, four, five years from now, it's not ridiculous to assume there'll be cannabis companies with 20, 30, $40 billion valuations, assuming they have contribution coming from many international medical markets. So that was the whole reason uh, Constellation invested their their $5 billion uh, uh, cash in in, in flux into Canopy. 
Um, so we expect to see more in that. So if, if, if you don't want to give value to things that are more speculative in other countries, whether it's Latin America or, or other places I mentioned, then it, it's, it's really hard to get your head around valuations. I certainly, in the near term, would definitely be looking for a pullback just because I think so much of the premiums for future strategics coming to the space are already baked, in, baked into the cake right now. And if we don't have another Constellation-type headline in the next month, I think there's going to be a, a pretty a pretty steep pullback in valuations. All right. Um, Matt, uh, we're going to pay some bills around here. we got to pay the man. You know what I mean? Uh, you understand what I'm talking about. So let us do just that on Hi-Fi Radio. And we'll talk a little bit more about Reefer Madness and the mania uh, that perhaps is unfolding in the space. Buyer beware. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. No more running like a fugitive on October 17th. No, legal, apparently. Uh, we're talking about marijuana, reefer madness. Uh, I say that because, of course, that movie that came out in 1936, I got a bunch of poster pictures on my phone now. They're hilarious. Uh, we got Matt Bottomley uh, on the line. He's an analyst. Uh, I'm going to say a pioneer as well because uh, early days. You must be a rock star at parties. Um, and not because you're like, loaded with marijuana, of course, but because you're loaded with marijuana knowledge. Uh, you know, back in the dot-com days, if you're an analyst and you're involved in technology, you were a rock star. If back in the same day, if you were involved in oil and gas, people would laugh at you. It's funny, eh? You come in and out of favor. But I want to talk about that because I've lived through a few manias. Last year was Bitcoin, and boy, it's amazing how it ended at the end of the year. Bitcoin at the end of the year was about 20000 U.S. dollars, give or take. Now it's around $6,000, down about 80%. Uh, I was around as a customer in dot-com, and I watched the NASDAQ go from 5000 ooh, down well below 2000 a 78% correction. I saw potash, the world's got to eat, uh, go parabolic, only to correct. Uh, I'm expecting the same for marijuana. Uh, sometimes I'm right, sometimes I'm wrong. Uh, the mania, I, I have to say, is fierce right now. Uh, I'm just getting too much interest from retail. This is it, Matt. Th this is our clue. Jack and I, it's a very powerful contrarian clue. In, in, but we know, anecdotally, retail gets it wrong. And so when retail begs to buy, you want to beg to sell often. And we're getting a lot of retail begging to buy odd lotters, small investors, 25, 26. They say, I don't want blue chips. I don't want boring stuff. No, I want pot IPOs. I want marijuana IPOs, cannabis, anything new. That's what I want. And so you're hearing a lot of stories come to market, Matt, with no real business other than a dream. And they're, and they're receiving valuations similar to .com when there was no E under the P. In other words, so many .com companies were able to raise billions from Wall Street without having any earnings, something that any revenue. Part, part of the danger, though, that we have right now is that retail has been right. So uh, they want to buy these stocks. They see them going higher. Maybe they got a little piece of them, uh, and they have gone higher. Um, they want to keep adding and adding more risk because as the valuations go up, the stocks get riskier. You're paying more for less. Yeah. And like Wolfgang said, sometimes there is no E beside that or underneath you know, the, under the, the, under the, the P. P. Yeah. So, so Matt, Matt Bottomley, an analyst, um, 
keep keep your uh, level head on as you always do. Uh, you know, you spoke about international markets until Ray, I guess, was announced that they got a contract for some medical marijuana in Germany. Um, what I always say to that, Matt, and when you talk about this here, um, is the Germans are pretty smart. I think they can grow marijuana in Germany if they want to. I don't think it needs to be shipped across the pond. Um, same in England. Now, I don't think they spoke about English being uh, legalized. But isn't it Portugal that just decriminalized all Drugs? I believe Portugal decriminalized all drugs from heroin, cocaine, marijuana. Am I correct on that statement, Matt? Yeah, I only cover the pot companies, but yes, you're correct. Yeah. So, uh, please, uh, why can't the Germans produce marijuana? Why do they have to buy it from us? Well, at, at some point they, they can, and I'm sure they will. Uh, you know, keeping the economics uh, within your own country, uh, country you know, lines uh, makes make sense. I think that you know, the way that the Germans are, are trying to implement their market is, is, is taking a, they're taking a very conservative approach. So, Which is um, German. Every, everything has to be GMP certified. Uh, everything right now is being imported predominantly from Canada. There's also the Netherlands and, and Israel in there. Uh, and right now they're going through their domestic cultivation process. And one of the reasons, you know, the Canadian licensed producers are, are leading on a global front is they're really the only group of large-scale companies that have operated under highly regulated conditions through federal uh, legalization uh, of just the medical market itself. And there's really no other country in the world that has as robust regulation. So the tendering process that the Germans are going through right now for domestic cultivation includes many of the Canadian licensed producers. So I don't buy the thesis that, you know, Canada is just going to own the global cannabis market. We don't grow watermelons in Canada. Down the road, it doesn't make sense to to grow cannabis uh, in Canada either. But right now, because it is a narcotic and it's slowly being legalized, country by country, uh, cultivation, of course, is going to start in, in, in domestically in each country. So I think that the expertise, uh, the ability to raise capital in, in Canada and, and deploy it internationally is, is really an advantage here. Uh, and I fully expect, as the markets continue to develop, uh, that there is going to be other international players domestic to various other countries. Um, but again, we're talking about a $10 billion opportunity in Canada for the rec and medical market. The global market over the next you know, 10, 15 years could be as high as $200 billion. So even if you're only getting 2 3 4 5% market share in some of these other countries, like a Germany or, or wherever, it is still very valuable considering the overall market potential of medical cannabis uh, starting to develop uh, across the world. Interesting, interesting. Uh, Matt, we're out of time, my good friend. Uh, so you and I are going to have to party later. Uh, I want to wish you a great weekend, and I want to thank you for your marijuana um, mindset. Uh, it's been very, very helpful uh, here on High Fi Radio. Jack, good job as always. Uh, the Humboldt story was uh, uh, it was a tearjerker, I must say. Uh, but we got through it, and I appreciate that as well. Friends, folks, thank you for tuning in to High Fi Radio. Good for the call. Don't forget, by the way, I'll be sleeping on the streets of Toronto. Uh, please go to Covenant House website. I need support. Uh, the executive sleep out, Wolfgang Klein, please donate. It's for the kids of Toronto, uh, those who are less fortunate than you and I. I want to wish you a great weekend. God bless. Listening to Hi Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, portfolio managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi Fi Radio for the love of money. We'll see you next week.